Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, I appreciate it. I got Ben Light from Adventure, your potential uh, local uh, Hebrew Valley guy. Uh, I wanted to talk to you because uh, I'm getting into the season of non-injury, uh, getting people motivated, kind of get off their butts and get more physically fit. Coming out of spring, obviously, and or coming into spring and then going into summer, coming out of the winter months here. This is one of the most active places on the planet for oh, people, yeah. right? The things to do. I ran into you in the gym and then, then a couple of events that we had and didn't realize it until we had conversations about it that you're an expert at this. This has been your life. <laughs> uh, for people who, who don't know your background, let's talk about your background and kind of how you got to the point in which what you're doing right now, uh, Adventure Your Potential and all the things you're doing full time. Yeah. So I've, I'm a founder of Adventure Your Potential. Uh, what that is, is uh, strength endurance coaching. Um, and what my forte is, is in ultra running on the endurance and then as an endurance athlete, um, as in ultras, there's a variety of different, uh, different lengths of distances. And I specialize in 200 plus miles. So at a uh, time, at a time, at a time races that exceed 200 plus miles. Why would you want to do that? Like where, where does that come from? 200 plus miles is ultra it's considered ultra well yeah anything above even a marathon it's of 26.1 yeah is is ultra and uh uh or 26.2 but um but there you you got like 50 k's and they kind of go by kilometers you got 50 miles 100 k's 100 miles and now ever since about um i mean longer than distances than 100 miles have been around probably from the beginning of time, you know, from, you know, uh, primal days of people running long distances. You hear about Greeks and all that stuff and yeah. Spartans and stuff like that, just like endurance, endurance events like that. But um, it's gotten incredibly popular since about 2000, I think it was about 14. Yeah. Was probably one of the first, uh, is that when the Tahoe 200 started. Yeah. How I got into it is, and if you would have asked me, like when, back when it started in 2014, 2013, um, if you would have asked me at that time, and I was at that time, I only ran, my longest distance I ever ran was 30 miles. It was a 50K. It was my yeah. first entry into the ultra community. I paced a girl at the Tahoe 200, 93 miles. It just happened to be like, I went from... 30 miles to 93 miles. And I did that by just be focusing on helping her achieve her 200 mile goal. And when I got done with that, I kind of did some self-reflecting going, I really want to do that event. I really want, I mean, I grew up in Reno, Nevada. So I was always venturing up in that Tahoe region. And I just thought to myself, I was like, I really want this. I really want to see if I can do that. Mm. I, want, I wonder if I can do that. Because you were training her up. Yeah, I, I volunteered to help her. So when on these ultra events, we have pacers, like we have um, individuals that come in and help run with us. After a certain period of time in the race, we're allowed to have these pacers and they kind of make sure that, you know, we're okay, we're eating, we're drink, you know, we're on track, we're not getting lost because, I mean, anything in into endurance events, when your mind starts to go, get tired, you, your judgment kind of uh, is 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 an 
part of the overall endurance factor in these events mm -hmm. is like, can you keep it together mentally along with physically? And um, so there's times that you can bring in a pacer to help with that. Mm -hmm. And I and um, I volunteered. I didn't know her. Uh, we were connected by some mutual friends. I came in and actually helped her. Uh, and a lot of her help didn't show up. So I continued to volunteer and continued to volunteer to help her as much as I could. And ended up doing 93 miles, three times longer than I've ever done. And it kind of opened up that world or that perspective of what I am capable of. Yeah. And um, I just made it a goal. Like I want to run that event. And so I signed up before I even finished whatever 100 mile ultra marathon myself. I had already signed up for the Tahoe 200 the very next year. Did she finish the race? Oh yeah, she finished the race. That's amazing, man. It, it, it is. What, what are the what are the stipulations of that? Like, what are the the timing and how long does that take a normal person to, com to complete? Um, so that event itself has a 105 hour time limit. Each each uh, aid station will have a cutoff time. So there's a moving, rolling cutoff time along the stages of the race. And if you don't meet it, they cut you? Yeah, you're pulled. Yeah, oh. they can't just be out there forever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, there's, uh, so when people like ask about those 200s, they are from the, from the gun that goes off to, you know, to, to you finish is your time. You know, whether you're going to eat, sleep, you know, you know your bathroom breaks, everything is factored into it. Mm. And so everything is a strategy. Hmm. It's and, about eating windows, resting windows, changing sock windows, I assume. Yeah. And, and when are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What are you going to run? What are you going to hike? You know, like it's all strategy. And the more experience you get, uh, the more that I, I would say the the better uh, strategically you can um, be competitive at it. And so since then, since uh, my first 200 mile I've competed in 13 200 plus mile events. Wow. How many people are competing in 200 plus mile events? There it's it's uh it's sold out. Like so about 250 per event is wow. is probably the average and yeah. it's sold out with a waiting list. Wow, that's and insane. And it's it's an expensive sport too. Yeah. I mean the events themselves. I mean for running, you know, most ultra marathons events get up to like $350 for like a 100 miler. You know, you got bad water, which is an exception at like, I think it's like $2,500 or something like that or, or more. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's stage races that go over multiple days that cost a good penny as well, depending on where they're at. The 200 mile distances, you know, right now are roughly around, uh, I think the average is about 15 to 1800 bucks. Is 200 miles the longest race? I mean, what's the limitation here? Could oh, they just the, say? The longest race that I know of organized is probably the Iditarod 1000. It's a thousand miles. Thousand miles up in, in Alaska. That's my goal. I, that's one of my goals is, is I want to compete in the- It's a run. It's a run pulling a sled. Oh my gosh. It's just like just like the the horse or the, the dog sled. It's the yeah. same course. This is a dog sled. They have a but snowmobile. But you're pulling. They, a, you're pulling the yeah, sled. Yeah, they have. They have snowmobile. They have dog sled. They have a uh, mountain bike. Wow. Like bike packing. Yeah. And then they have the running. And you run pulling a sled. I'm assuming of your food and all yeah. of your rations and. So they got three fifty up to a, a thousand miles. The whole thing. Um, I did a fifty miler a couple summers ago, and it it 
it hurt me. But what I what I realized because I I didn't and so I started training up for it in nutrition because I've done a lot of rucking and endurance type events in the military, and I didn't realize that you had to be in this very slow paced window because if you exceed that you run the risk of basically degrading right yeah, too yeah. early too it, early on and that strategy right yeah there. is is can you describe some of that strategy and and what does the training regime look like for you leading up to it what are some of the things that you do in preparation oh yeah so um what you learn is um your depending on your fitness level is how you're going to approach a uh i guess the course in mm. itself um, when I'm going into, depending, there's there's flatter courses and then there's hillier courses, like mountain courses. And so what I usually do going into one of my events, as I look at the event, I factor in the distance and how much vertical gain and loss that distance has. And it comes down to math and percentage. And so then I take that, you know, that estimated amount of uh, vertical gain that that distance is going to have and I calculate it down to the mile. And so then in my training blocks for the week, if I'm going to do a 35 or a 40 or a, you know up to a 60 mile training block that week, I have to have a certain percentage of vertical gain in that in my own training to prepare myself like and try to replicate the vertical the steepness, the mm. the grades that I'm going to to run. If you're if you got low grades, just plan on practicing on low grades. But if you're going to do a very steep race that has a very vertical climbs on it, you're going to need to find some terrain that has that. And so, um, you know, lead uh, during the race and that like trying to figure out what pace you should be doing. Um, I it's it the best thing to do is to go by heart rate, obviously. Mm. I mean, if you don't wear a heart rate monitor, I don't wear a heart rate monitor except for on my watch, on my wrist. And I don't look at it very often because I've gotten to the point where within my training, I kind of know where my heart rate is mm. just just by my breathing, just by how I feel and stuff. And so um, over the years, I've been able to increase what vertical gain I can actually run. And then, but where the efficiency arc is when you know you're not gaining much pace speed but your output of energy is going through the roof yeah you're not doing yourself any service on the long run because later in the race when you're i always say run the first half of the race like you would run the second half of the race mm. because you could probably even reflect back on that second 25 miles and your second 25 miles of that 50 mile race was completely different than the first 25 mm. miles, especially the first 10 miles. Yeah. You know, 10 miles, you're like, I feel good, you know, and yeah. and you're going at it and you're pushing hard and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, if uh, you weren't calculating correctly, it's, you know, the game plan's out the window and you're walking stuff that you technically should be running. Yeah. When you start walking things that you, that are flat or downhill, you know, you made mistakes. Mm. And so, you have to be patient. I mean, you have to keep to a game plan. You got to be like, okay, if other people are running this and I know that my heart rate is getting up, I need to, I need to be, you're against yourself in, in a way with ultra 
rather than being against other people because you don't know if they're exceeding their game plan or their fitness level right now. And if you if you start judging yourself off of them and their effort level and pushing where they're pushing, you might be, you know, setting yourself up for complete blow up. Yeah, it, it, I, I, so I remember in training, wanting to push, but realizing at looking at my heart rate, I had to run to my conditioning level. Mm -hmm. And so if my heart rate was increasing because I started, I started feeling good and, and extending my stride and, and, and that feeling good, that euphoria led to me beating the pavement for a certain amount of time. I knew I was going to pay for that in the latter half, yeah. which I did. I think the last probably 10 miles of that 50 was brutal, man. I, I like, I was walking where I shouldn't have been walking and um, my knees were aching and just things that normally wouldn't have been there. Cause I, my, my mindset started to degrade in about the middle of the race where I had a game plan with the glycogen and taking in certain amounts of fuel. And then things started uh, lapsing. Like my timing windows were out. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm already to another feeding window. Oh my gosh, I can't eat. And then I'd skip that and then skip the drink that came after that. And oh, then it's that, you're on a slippery slope oh, right there. Man. You're it on a slippery slope. It was rough. Yeah. What happens is, is, and just for the, for those that are listening, like, and that are in endurance athlete uh, sports, or even when you're, let's just say hunting, there's probably so many hunters that you have. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And if you got somebody that's like doing a lot of on foot rather than on ATV, you know, hunting where you're hiking and, and crossing a lot of terrain, the way the body works is um, blood is utilized to actually help with the digestion of your stomach. Mm. And when you're physically active and your heart's pumping and you're using your arms, you're using your legs, your blood's going anywhere else but your stomach. So if you let your stomach run dry and empty, that blood will move away from your stomach. It'll empty out. And then all of a sudden you dump food on your stomach. It almost has to like kickstart it and it's hard to kickstart it when all the blood's being moved to your outer extremities. And so <laughs> one of the things that you, everybody in ultra running or these endurance sports, you know, like triathlon and stuff like that has experienced what we call, I call it fishbowl belly mm. because your stomach shuts down. And so all the, the hydration, all the nutrition, all the electrolytes that you're putting in yourself, trying to help your body fuel and be efficient is just sitting now in your stomach, sloshing around and that's when you start to get that nauseous overall feeling. And there's almost nothing you can do to get it to start to digest when it gets to that stage, except for stopping and waiting for it to, to kickstart it again. Once it body says, I'm in a safe zone, I don't need to be allocating so much blood to my lungs, to my heart, all across my body, it'll start to that digestive process. Or... The next best way is just to throw up. Really? Oh yeah. I'm just, if you the fastest purge, purge it, purge yeah. it, get it out, and then you have to trickle it in. I mean, and I've had races. I had the um, one year I ran the Wasatch 100 and the Tahoe 200 together at the same time. That's a whole nother story of how I did that. But during the Wasatch 100 is the second hottest year. I started to get that. Um, I took in too much salt too fast. And my stomach just went, whoa, and shut down. Once that shut down, everything I started putting in started turning into fishbowl. 
and I threw up for 50 miles. So every five miles, <laughs> every hour, I was taking in stuff. It wasn't digesting, and I would have to throw it up so that I could feel somewhat comfortable enough to keep running. So, yeah. you're, but you're running completely on empty. Mm. You know, because your body's not. It's just completely on its own. While it was hot. Oh, by the time I started throwing up, it was the curvature of the heat of the day. Uh, I threw up from about, you know, three in the afternoon till about nine, ten o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, just every every five miles, I'd throw up, start running again, get about four miles in before I, I went down to a walk because it was so uncomfortable. Just threw it up, you know, whether it's put my, I mean, all I had to do was think about something touching my tongue or something like that. And it's just like gone. Yeah. yeah. If, um, when you go into a training cycle and you, well, let me ask this first, cause I'll forget if I don't ask it. Yeah. You said you mentioned about heart, heart rate. Um, and I'm assuming you're, you're measuring variability and you're looking at zones. Yep. What, what kind of heart rate monitor do you use on your wrist? What watch do you use? Oh, I, I use the Coros. Um, I, I, I used to be a huge Garmin. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll still Garmin is like by far one of the best watches on the market for for endurance sports and stuff like that. Coros is a newer company that's just, um, it's just amazing. How, how do you spell that? C O R O S. Coros. Okay. Yeah, it's by far. Uh, I just started. The difference is, I mean, on this, I, I really like the way the stats are on yeah. it. Um, but also like they're uh, they're just very innovative on the endurance sports level. Uh, I think Garmin is just like Garmin's main money is obviously aviation and military and they're, yeah. they're, I mean the, the the watch itself is like, like for an endurance athlete from Garmin, I think is just probably not their highest margin of profit. Yeah. So they don't I don't think they put a ton of emphasis on that sector whereas Coros is built around runners and ultra runners and mm. they're really involved with the community and they're just they're 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 it's an amazing product there's just I, you know yeah. so basically i use a Coros. it reads i can set alarms on it so that um i can if watch it that wolf, yeah window. yeah if i wanted to and stuff like that there's a lot of times i just to just to be you know completely transparent when i'm running a race I try to limit down to the very, like all I want to know is I, one window will be the map so I can see where I'm going. We, there's a lot of uh, navigation involved with uh, ultra running mm -hmm. and making sure you're on course because markers could be far in between. Yeah. It's hundreds of miles. And you're yeah. going through uh, trails, sometimes off trail, sometimes, uh, most of the time on trail, but lots of, uh, lots of, you know, splits you know, because they're hiking trails and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So there might be a, a junction and you're like, which way am I supposed to go? And if for some reason uh, there's no markers, you got to be able to to navigate that. Yeah. And so I use one of my screens as my map. One of my screens is basically set up to basically tell me the time of the day, the duration of my event. So I kind of have that. And then the distance to my next uh, checkpoint. Mm and an ETA. Mm. I focus in on that ETA and the time of the day. And basically, um, I start to play games with myself where um, I just, I try to beat that time. That's from a mental standpoint. I knew you're talking about heart rate, but um, for heart rate, I try to stay into zone three. 
no higher than zone three. If you start getting up into zone four, you're, that's where you're in a detrimental stage. Um, zone five is like completely detrimental. Yeah. But four, you're dipping into your glycogen storages. You're uh, pushing your um, adrenal, you know, production in your body, your hormones and everything like that. If you can stay down in zone three, like literally, I mean, you can maintain a, I mean, that's where, that's where 200 miles is not that long. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it, and, and people talk about ultra running and I always call it like ultra jogging because really we're, we're jogging, but you know, to stay, sustain that it's like a slow drip for that long. It's, it's pretty intense. What, what do you think? What's your take on, I, I see a lot of people, um, doing the wrong things like in the gym, like our gym oh, yeah. we go to. Um, and I've, I grew up in the infantry and then went into special operations, but I learned about fitness, nutrition from special operations. The infantry certainly didn't know because drinking more water was the solution for everything. You know, like, Hey, I'm tired. Drink more water. Hey, <laughs> you know, I got, you know, I, I got any kind of issues, drink water and that will sustain you or fix you. But you learn in special operations with endurance about electrolytes, about balanced nutrition, about glycogen, about how the way that you have to stay in certain zones. And you see somebody on a treadmill, for example, and they're overweight and they're moving at a very slow pace for an extended period of time, 20, 30 minutes. And what is your idea around fitness? Because you're a super fit guy for people who are listening to this and potentially um, don't have a start point. Like they're, they're told the wrong thing because they see the other person on the treadmill and they go, well, that's what I'm just going to do. And, you know, they get on the elliptical and they're bent over um, or they're on the stair stepper <coughs> and they're bent over and they're just moving at a snail's pace. They're in a lower zone. <clears throat> so they're not activating these things. And you're like, yeah, you burned a few hundred calories, man. Like, but, but that's not going to tie into your overall fitness. Well, man, that's such you I mean, that question is so like, there's so much to that question. Um, first off, you know, people listening to everybody's at a different stage of fitness. The most important thing within fitness is first showing up. And then two is consistency. Mm. Being fit is all about consistency is being is is showing up each and every day. When you start showing up each and every day, the next the next thing is basically that effort level or that uh, dialing in your the fitness. Like first, you know, you, you're past that hump of showing up. You're showing up, but there's a lot of people that show up every day at the gym that don't look fit. Yeah. You know, and then there's that. It's it's are they pushing themselves properly? Are they fueling themselves? Are they recovering properly? Are they the intensity properly? There's so many factors and I don't want to overwhelm anybody listening, but it's all about experience. And the only way to get experience is through consistency and striving to be better today than yesterday. Mm. And so, and that's my whole, like, I like ultra running. Like if I could tell you my, if I can tell you one thing about myself is I'm not a very good runner. And, 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 you know, and people are like, what, you know, and I'm, I'm competing and I'm competing at a high level. I'm competing at a high level based off of me just showing up every day, 
trying to get better and and I'm against myself. Like I I I stare at my stats rather than other people's stats. I I focus in on my and I do very incremental small baby step gains and I am patient about that. I'm accepting about that <laughs> that it's only going to be you know, even, you know, that you hear people talk about 1% better each day kind of a thing. Yeah. Like 1% is a lot. If yeah, you really think about it, that's only 100 days and you're 100% yeah. better. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of improvement, a lot of strength. I'm like, think of like 0.001% better, yeah. honestly, and pick away at it, pick away at it, pick away at it. Especially like with weight loss, one pound a month. Fantastic. You're making progress. Now let's go to the next month, you know, and then uh, performance, one per, you know, like, just take take a little bit at a time better and you'll just slowly start to progress. And before I knew it, I was in the middle of the pack and then I was in kind of close to the front of the pack. And now when I'm running, I'm I'm in the front of the pack. Mm. You know, I'm and I'm competitive about it and I'm still trying to play that game of with the throttle. You know, you can think about running. Running is the reason why I think I fell in love with running because it's so freaking hard. Running is so hard. So hard. It's like, it's, it's like, like the worst and it thing doesn't ever. get easier. People yeah. go, man, oh, what, would you go out for a, like my, my run this morning, eight and a half miles. Man, every mile was freaking hard. You yeah. know, like I'm, I'm just like. Doesn't it get like, easier. It doesn't get easier because I'm, I'm feathering the throttle. Like all of a sudden I feel my heart rate jumping up. So I kind of, kind of feather it back a little bit and I start to try to, regulate my breathing, regulate my tempo, my cadence and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I find a feel like I get into this nice, easy groove. And what happens? My pace starts to accelerate. Mm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, my heart rate starts to accelerate. And I'm like, whoa, and I got to start feathering back a little bit again. And so you're constantly, you know, playing with the throttle mm. on, on running and it's, and you start to learn how hard to push depending on the distance that you're going to run and, and everything like that. So I would never run like at a, a 7.30 pace for the first 10 miles of a 200-mile ultra. Mm. You're asking for trouble, mm. you know, because you're you're dipping in. But I would say you could run at like a, even a 10-minute mile pace. And a 10-minute mile pace is podium pace Oh wow! on a 200-mile. 10-minute miles. And you're like thinking like, yeah. that's like this little jog. But, well, that's factoring in pooping, eating, changing socks, maybe taking a sponge off bath, trying to take salt off you and stuff like that. And so, you know, you know, just a variety of different things. If you're going to take a dirt nap and everything like that, all that's factored into your overall pace average, but an over a uh, podium pace average is probably about like 12 and a half minutes per mile for wow. 200 miles. Yeah. And people like, Oh, I, I can do that. I'm like, well, then go out and do it. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's way hard. It's hard. It's, like, it's the most difficult thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Um, but it's it's so empowering that like I fell in love with this idea. I remember. Okay, we got temp right here in the back in backyard. If if uh, I know not everybody on the podcast can see it, but it's just amazing mountain. It reminds me of like, uh, if it's our own Swiss Alps yeah. in a way, it just has this amazing. And the first, when I first, the first two weeks I moved to Utah, I like, I always came and visited from, for family. And I was like, oh, I wanna hike that mountain. Well, I was into endurance uh, running. I, I was into running. I was, I started getting into fitness. I was before my trail running days, before my ultra running days. And I was like, I want to go hike that mountain. And I'm hiking that mountain 
with my brother and then all of a sudden this older gentleman comes running at us coming down the hill you know split shorts two water bottles in both hands he's probably in his upper 50s early 60s wow and i'm looking at him going he's getting it <laughs> that is the most inspiring awesome thing and he like he slowed down and he actually let us hike by and i stopped and i'm like dude you know like did you guys, did you run up? Like, tell, what, what, I'm like, hey, I'm here doing? loaded up with like <laughs> rucking with all this, like, I didn't know what to expect. You got all this gear just in case you had to go climbing and all this stuff and sweating. And I'm just like looking at that going, that is awe inspiring. So we, we had, we had a quick conversation and it was, it wasn't the next day I was like, I'm going to go out and run trail. I'm going to, I'm going to, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And it just like. It, it was like a pivot point in my mindset, in my, of like, if he can do it, I can do it. Hmm. And I just wanted that. And what I did is I fell in love with, I I'd always loved adventure and I loved fitness. And all of a sudden, ultra running brought both of those two passions and just married them. And I'm like, I wonder if I can run from this mountain to that mountain. I wonder if I can run around that mountain. You know, like, and you start doing it and your self-confidence and your empowerment just goes, Oh, well, hmm. if I can do that, what, what can I do? What can I do? And so in my ultra running, I progressed from these 200 mile races. Then I started, I started thinking, and this is the Wasatch Tahoe. One year I was running a, I was in the middle of, of a, of a 200 mile run and you get a lot of time thinking. And I was thinking to myself, it's like, you know, I was thinking about the Tahoe 200 that I was going to be running next month. Actually, at that time, I was running uh, what we call the Triple Crown. It's three 200-mile races in 60 days. Oh, wow. You got the Bigfoot up in the Cascades. Um, you were just up there. We basically run around Mount St. Helens mm, all, the way up, all the way up to the close part of uh, Mount Adams and then Mount Rainier. But I was running that race, and um, the next race was going to be the Tahoe 200, and I was thinking about the Tahoe 200. And all of a sudden, I started thinking – Tahoe always lands on the same day as the Wasatch 100 right here in our home state. And it's the most, it's one, it's one of the most iconic hundred mile races in the U S mm. and it actually ends right here in the Heber Valley mm. uh, at Soldier Hollow starts in Farmington um, up near Ogden. And I was like, it is literally the same day as the Tahoe 200. And at that time I was running this, this was my third year running the Tahoe 200 and um for that triple crown and uh, i was like you know i'm finishing that race with like 30 hours to spare uh, the 105 hours i'm finishing it at under 70 hours and so i'm like if i can run this and have 30 hours to spare i wonder if i can get another 100 miles in oh. so then i started saying i wonder if i can run the wasatch 100 hop on a plane land in what we basically hop on a plane here at Heber city airport, just miles from the finish, go to Truckee, California, and then start at Homewood at Lake Tahoe and start that race 24 hours behind the rest of the race and finish it. Mm. And so like, you know, like I, I, I pulled up to my buddy, Mike, and he will talk about him, but uh, I pulled up to my buddy, Mike, and I was like, Mike, I got this awesome idea. And you got to think we're 150 miles into a 200 mile race. Nothing sounds awesome. <laughs> Everything sounds awful. And I got this awesome. And so I'm going over this idea and I'm telling him the math. I'm just like, I think it'll work. I think it'll work. And he's like, you're an idiot. 
<laughs> like, like, like honestly, like, like, are you serious? Like, I don't even want to think about that yeah. right now. I just want to finish this race and go to bed, you know? <laughs> and so I kept dwelling. I was like, I think I could do it. And you know what? I started to talk about it and people were like, you're an idiot. You know, yeah. like, that's crazy. That's crazy talking. And that like, pushes you more. It, it, w- yeah. That's the craziest thing. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. I'm going to prove you wrong. And yeah. so like all of a sudden I went with the, the, There had so many dynamics to it. One of the dynamics to it was I have to, it's a lottery system to get into the Wasatch 100. Mm. So I put in, I was like, ah, I'll just throw my name in. Boom. Right at the beginning of like it pulled. I'm like, all right, well, well, that's, that's, that's obstacle one out of yeah. the way. Now I got to get a, a, a plane, but I was already in the Tahoe 200. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in the bolt races and well, I got to figure this out. So I got to get a plane and I ended up bidding on a silent auction with Lindsey Vaughn's foundation on a two hour plane ride and uh, end up getting it for like half the cost of what it would have cost me. Oh, wow. So that to me, that was a win too. Yeah. And so I'm like, everything's in motion. And so I, I rallied some family to help me out. My brother like was over there in Tahoe waiting for me to finish this race. I had friends help me out in this race. Um, things went sideways. I ended up finishing. I wanted to finish in 20, like six hours. I ended up finishing 30 hours because of getting sick and throwing up so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but luckily the, the pilots waited, we were able to take off. I got over to Tahoe, probably even 12 hours behind. By the time we got over there, everything just, I had a lot of obstacles in my way, but I just kept pushing forward. I just, it's like, well, I just got to run faster. Now I just have less time, but I just got to run faster. And, and I just started pushing, pushing and pushing, pushing. And I was able to finish wow. the Tower 200. Now I finished it in the amount of time frame that I want, had set for myself as a goal. But with the delay, I, I missed the, what I wanted was to finish that, that race in its time frame. Mm. But it was a few hours past its time frame yeah. when I, when I finished. Because of the delay. Because of all the delays. But yeah. But I finished and it, that opened my eyes to the potential. Like nothing is impossible. You shift your perspective, your mindset, and you look at something and, you, and once you start to believe in yourself and empower yourself and, and get this self-confidence, it's, it's all comes down to, I always like to say it comes down to math. Does the math add up? And if the math can add up, mm-hmm. you know, then why not? You know, yeah, you had that potential of failure. I've failed more times than, you know, I, I've, I've been, well, let me say this. I've exceeded more times than I've failed, but I've failed on, on grand scales on some of my projects and stuff like that. Some of the, the these goals and endeavors, but those failures have become some of my biggest leaps in the way I've, I've strategized and changed. When I've succeeded, I felt like I didn't need to change anything. I, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. But when you fail at something, all of a sudden it becomes, why? Why did I fail? What can I do better? What can I do differently? And you start to change. Mm. And sometimes failure becomes the biggest point of change in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you st- if you don't stay down, mm. if you don't let failure define yourself as like an identity or a label that you place on yourself, I'm a failure, so I'm just going to give up. Well, then, yeah, you are, you know, that's failing itself. But if you look at it as a step in the process to success hmm. and you utilize that failure for your for your benefit, I mean, how many successful people in the world 
have not, you know, have not failed. Mm. I mean, every one of them has failed, but it's the difference is they didn't stay down. Yeah. And so like, I've taken that, <clears throat> sorry, I got a little bit of a cough from my, I call it ultra cough because I just got done running before this. Um, but uh, uh, I've taken that and I, it's opened my ideas for farther and farther distances. Uh, two years ago when the d- pandemic hit, all the races closed down. Me and my buddy, Mike, uh, decided we wanted to, we just decided on one day running that we're like, hey, there's two iconic races, the Bear 100 and then the Wasatch 100. I talked about that. They're like about 100 miles apart from each other. So we created a route linking them together and running from running them both. So basically we started on the op, the far end of the Bear 100 at Bear Lake ran across the Bear River Range to Logan Valley, crossed Logan Valley to the Ogden Range of the Wasatch, basically summited all the major peaks coming down the the uh, Ogden front and into Farmington, and then basically hopped on the Wasatch to finish here. So 300 miles. And what we've done is in our projects is we tie our these projects to creating opportunity to bring attention to individuals and organizations. So I, I always do these fundraisers mm-hmm. around my uh, my projects because one, it gives me a self a purpose that something's greater than just a challenge for myself. So yes, I get that benefit of the challenge myself, but I also get a, a, a driving force purpose behind it. I'm doing this for someone else. Yeah. And I know I didn't get into that uh, as much, but every year with my projects, ever since the Wasatch Tahoe, I've had a project every year. Um, these just kind of crazy endurance projects that I, that I've created, and um, we tie them into, you know, some type of nonprofit organization or an individual. Um, for that one, for we call it the Brawl Three, uh, the Utah Brawl that where we ran the the Bear River Range or the the Bear One Hundred and the Wasatch One Hundred. There was a individual that I knew, he actually helped me raise money for a organization that helps people with uh, neurological injuries, like spinal cord injuries, and they help them rehabilitate them. Mm. He helped, I helped, we were on the same thing, on the same like organization team that raised money for this com- this, com- this this organization. And the next year he gets in an accident training for his first Ironman. And now he's a paraplegic. What? And he's going to that facility. He's in therapy at that facility. So he wasn't injured before. He wasn't injured before. Working the nonprofit that now that's helping him. And now he, him helping them, now they're helping him. Oh my gosh. So I had raised money for that nonprofit two years in a row with two different my projects. And then I was just like thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I talked, his name's Austin. I was like, Austin, like, you know, his story was super inspiring because when he woke up, I came to visit him at the hospital and he woke up and he was like, I I still want to do my Ironman. I don't care. I don't care that this has happened to me. He's not even, he's, he's not even in physical therapy yet. He's still sitting in a brace in the hospital trying to heal from his surgeries. And he's like, I'm going to finish that Ironman. What was the injury? How, how did oh, he... he got hit by a car oh my gosh. on his bike, um, just doing a training ride. 
And he's paralyzed from the waist down. Waist down. Wow. And it's probably high waist too. There's all different variations. Yeah, yeah. And the higher you go, the less abdominal usage that you have and it makes it even harder. Yeah. And his is fairly pretty high. And so I said, well, I was thinking to myself, how can I help him? And so I reached out to him. I said, what do you need? And he's like, I just got a hand cycle. Um, I need, they, they need not just a hand cycle. That's for the biking part where they're biking the whole distance by hand. They need a racing wheelchair, like the push for the running section. And they're all custom made to uh, individuals um, body structure and, and the way that they're um, paralyzed. And so I, me and my buddy, Mike just rallied together, created this project and then tied in uh, for him and we were able to raise enough money to buy his his racing wheelchair and to pay for two years of coaching. I know I'm I'm friends with the para, uh, Paralympic coach for the Paralympic team for triathlon. Mm -hmm. He's right here in Salt Lake. Some of the best triathlons are right here in Salt oh, Lake. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I reached out to him and he's like, you know what? I will match whatever dollar, dollar for dollar. So basically we were able to raise enough money for one year for coaching. He extended it to two years. Oh, wow. And, and Austin now is like, he's out there doing it. He's, mm. he, I don't know if he's done the Ironman yet, but he's building up and he's training and he's getting longer and longer distances. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing. And super inspiring. What is, what is your, like, let's talk mindset tactics because I've, I've navigated my own creating of things that I do that help me through like even the stage rally that I did in this uh, rally race um, where I knew I had to push it, but pushing it risk um, you crashing. Oh. And then if you crash, then you're out of the race. And we had 30 crashes. I mean, they're, they're like Ken Block hit a tree head on. Um, uh, Barry McKenna went off into a river. <laughs> Everybody was crashing because they were pushing it. And so psychologically, I had I have my own tactics of trying to um, manipulate the state of my, especially my physical body, to make sure that I don't, like I, I made a mistake where it, it was a mechanical issue that compounded itself, but the front right strut was out, made me understeer, went through a corner that I normally would power through, but because I didn't have the power factor, because I put it in limp mode accidentally, it didn't shift the weight and we almost went off a cliff. And we broke and I, we slid 10 feet and then stopped at the edge of the cliff. <laughs> I backed up and just kept going. And immediately I was like, man, why would you make that stupid mistake? And if I focused on the mistake, I would compound the mistakes. And I'm sure in ultra running, um, you run into walls. I know this because in my my own 50, yeah. I ran into a lot of walls. What are some of your tactics that you utilize like at the tactical level that help you get through this? Um, like experience plays a whole point. So there's, every time you run into a wall, you're like, why did, why did this wall happen? So um, now going forward, there's a lot of experience and I, I have, different walls you always run into a different wall now an unknown wall it's like you fix that wall you prevent it yeah and now you you've opened yourself up to a new wall You're like never seen that one before <laughs> never seen that one great before. but um it's like strategy I'll, I'll give one example i was when you were talking i was trying to think of an example um this is a personal and 
someone else's example. When um, that same race that I was talking about with Mike, when I told him about the Wasatch Tahoe, um, we were moving up the field. Um, I took a different strategy than everybody else. I was sleeping about it. Uh, I, I was watching a Navy SEAL documentary on sleep and they were talking about the REM cycle. And um, before in my 200s, I would sleep up to three hours at a time and then get back out there. And I was watching this documentary and this documentary said in 90 minutes, you can hit two REM cycles. And then after that 90 minutes, it's like almost like three hours of just like fluff. Yeah. And then you hit another two REM cycles. Well, I was like, I don't have time to hit four REM cycles, but if after 90, 90 minutes is just fluff, yeah, why? Yeah. That's a wasting my time. So I'm like, I went into it as a strategy going, I only want 90 minutes. So I came into these this race going, you know, to, to my my wife, my biggest supporter, my crew chief, and I'm just like 90 minutes. So I lay down basically, and she sets the alarm, and 90 minutes later I get up, pound like a five hour energy, and get out the door, and um, it was paying huge dividends. So I would lose time in those 90 minutes, but then I would make up Ooh, that time and more in my pace oh. and my mindset. When your mind starts to go like later in stages in a race, especially when you hit night two, night two is a hard night, especially if you didn't sleep night one. I can easily run all day and run through night one and then run all day again, mm. but you're behind, mm. okay? Night two is our the factor for most 200. If you're gonna be on podium, you got you can't sleep at all. So you can, you need, I mean, you need to be done by night three. Night three is we call it the, the, uh, Twilight Zone, basically. Everybody's hallucinating. Oh, yeah. it's over. Like, I don't think there's any getting <laughs> through so night awesome. three without some type of REM, hit of REM mm. at some point in time. And if you've already gone through night one <laughs> and night two, you're way behind. And, and, and 90 minutes is not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. So it's all strategy. Mm. It's like, it all depends on the the field. And if somebody can, can people are rolling that dice that they're going to get done before night three. And that year, I, I, I was still developing my, finding out my rhythm and my competitiveness. And so I went from the three hours to the 90 minutes. And so now here we are, we just got through, we're, we're just got done with night two. We're in the daytime and we're coming up on some of the, the very end of the race and it's coming dark again, just to night three. And uh, me and my buddy, I've just pulled into like fifth place, you know? Um, and I wasn't even there to race it because I had two other races that I was considering. So the harder I push this race, the more detriment I do to my other two races. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to play it really smart. And we caught up to what, what we always call it F1, was first female, F1. We caught F1 and she was actually walking back on the wrong direction. And it was, we were in this really extreme, I mean, if people like saw some of the terrain that we cross, extremely dangerous terrain, like cliff edges, uh, mm. scrambling, sometimes rock climbing. Um, there's a crazy trains and we are on this like knoll that had cliff edges. It's almost like a spine of a ridge that had cliff edges on both sides. And she's coming towards us with her headlamp and we're going towards her and we're like, what's going on? Why is this headlamp coming towards us? And uh, we get there and she's just like, hey. 
and you gone. gone. You looked into her eyes. There's nothing there. I mean, is you, like it's the freakiest thing. She's gone. Yeah. She is not there, and she's just like, do you, do you, are it, you know, like she started asking some weird questions, yeah. and we're like, are you? And we knew she didn't go down to that aid station because we knew we we checked with timing and where we're at and and we had they they asked us if we had passed f1 and i said we said no we haven't seen her so we and it was an out and back so from that ridge you would go down three miles to the aid station and come back up and it's a far drop down and a hard climb back up yeah so we get on that ridge line and we're going across and, and she's just like i'm like where are your poles you know your trekking poles and she goes, I threw him into the twilight zone. And I'm just like, oh, dang. And oh. now I'm like looking at Mike going, what do we do? We're racing. We got like five guys right behind us. And we got F1 right here. And she's kind of out of, and, and we're like, you need to, I mean, it was only like a half mile back to the split. I said, you need to follow that back and go to the aid station, you know, and and so we sent her on her way and we kept on watching backwards to watch her light, watch her light. And she actually ran into one of the photographers that was staged and he directed her down and nice. left and she got down. But I was like, like you you hit that competitive, like you're, I didn't know what to do. Pretty you know, you like, do, yeah. I, do I walk her back and stuff like that? But where the example is going is, is like she rolled the dice and not slept the first two nights and that third night boom crushed her crushed her like and she um i don't know i don't i think she still made podium but she didn't i know she didn't get uh first in in the female category uh because she went back to that you said she had to sleep she had to sleep till morning Oof. and and so anyways from a mindset and strategy to, to kind of tie this in is you you know you're taking a lot of risks on what you're doing but you're also trying to strategize uh, the competitive edge. So mm -hmm. I'm sure with like your, your racing and stuff like that, it's like, how hard do I push that throttle? But how hard do I back off? Yeah. You know, yeah. like how much time am I going to lose on this or how much? But, it, but if I roll, the game's over anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're writing, you're con constantly writing that. And with experience and doing it and failing and learning and then experiencing again, you can just get better at, at assessing the situation. Yeah. Um, and I've had plenty of times where that's the smallest little things, no matter how big your training is and how well everything's going, how fit you are, the smallest little thing to forget could be detrimental for the whole thing. I love that. We, we in the race that I was racing for stage rally in uh, Olympus, we were at fifth at one point. And we knew going in the last three stages, we're in fifth. And so I, my mindset was just drive it like I drive it. Don't change anything. And when we went into the last stage, we knew we were potentially in fourth or fifth, uh, but didn't know the status, but then got notified that the leader of our, um, our division or our, uh, uh, our class, which is limited four wheel drive, which is the most competitive class, crashed. Mm -hmm. And he literally sent us a picture because he's buddies with my co-driver, a picture of him rolled. He rolled several times into the yeah. woods. And then we went, okay, it, it, we didn't have to say anything, but we knew, okay, that was a crash. The guy in front of me is a minute in front of me. 
if I can make up time through these three races, going into the last race, I knew I had made up time. If I just sent it and just pushed hard and hard and hard, then uh, it could be the the deciding factor. And it was because I, I placed third, but the difference between third and fourth was 12 seconds. So I beat him by 12 seconds on a stage rally, which is the difference between um, a couple turns of manipulating the car the right way, yeah. you know? And, and I see, I see like when people say mindset, when you're experienced, the less experienced you are, the more walls you hit because, oh, yeah. because you're like, oh, well, that's dumb. And you learn from those experiences. But then the mindset evolution and experienced people who are professionals is staying disciplined, staying focused, weighing risk. And I like the way you put it. It's like, it's all about assessing the situation. Because if you're not constantly adaptive in assessing, which is, a, I think, the number one characteristic in survival, um, then you're not ahead and you're not conscious and you're not focused. And then before you know it, you're the person, you know, with uh, dilated pupils looking into the twilight zone. And that's how you, that's how quick that happens, you know. And I think it's important for, you know, just listeners to, to think about this. You can't, you don't have the, you can't get the experience without preparation mm. you know and you look at like your training courses you look at you talk about preparation all the time i love listening to your podcast and you can take that preparation in all aspects of your life mm. physically like a, a lot of my ultra running is physical and mental there's also I, i'll tie it into spiritual and emotional too mm. because it's all wrapped up into one who creates your decision process mm. but um you're not going to have those tools to access without practicing. Mm. You're just not. You, you, you can't grasp on that. You can't have the muscle memory unless you show up and practice. Yeah. You know, it, no matter how good you imagine yourself to be yeah. in that situation, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to be playing out like that. And no matter how many times you role play or you go through it or you show up, like, and no matter how many how many races I've done and and showing up and practicing every day, I have bad days. Mm. You know, I get out there and I'm like, "Holy cow!" Like my body's just not responding. You know, and so mm. and then you have and you're figuring out why and stuff like that, and you have ups and downs and stuff like that. But the more consistent you are, the more preparation you put into it, the more uh, effort and uh, patience that you have, and consistency and everything the more prepared you're going to be to be able to you know make those adjustments mm -hmm. and to push through and know that hey I've been here before I can get through this yeah that's the whole thing is if you've never been there before you don't know if you can get through this or not yeah but until you've gotten that self-confidence of, of showing up and doing and doing and doing consistent then all of a sudden you become you, you become empowered mm -hmm. you know and then you start to see, what is truly the limit? There is no limit, mm. you know. It all—it's all just math, and does it add up? You yeah, know, kind of a thing. Well, that's what I love about adventure your potential, and we have our own piece called "Operate the Outdoors," which is the idea. Like, I mean, you're you're your limiting factor. There's so many things that you could do that are epic, and people are intimidated. They're fearful when they get involved in it and realize it's achievable through experience, through training. Yeah, um, it changes their life forever. It has all these outstanding 
and resounding effects on their life, including relationships, their their self-confidence, discipline, and it refines kind of a thousand kind of this life, like you said, spiritually, emotionally. And that's what I love about it. Um, you, you have a challenge this year that you were talking to me about, about this epic endurance event. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when me and me, me and Mike, my buddy, um, so just to give you a little background on Mike, Mike is probably the most known and world renowned 200 mile runner in the world right now. Mm. Like he has, he has all the records at all three of those. What's his last name? Mike McKnight. He's out of Logan. Well, I mean, honestly, to have him on the podcast would be a, yeah, be a awesome. huge benefit. Yeah. But, um, um, and this weekend we're going down to Arizona. We'll be in Arizona too, uh, doing the Cocodona 250. I'm actually crewing and pacing him. Um, and it's, a you know, and he's going for the win there. Um, anyways, he has set the record on the Colorado Trail. He is the fastest human to cross the Colorado Trail from point from Durango to Denver, basically. Oh, and he said that two years ago. And um, during that time, that same year is the same year that we ran uh, the from basically Bear Lake to to uh, Soldier Hollow here in in Heber Valley, the three hundred and five miles. And um, we were thinking, you know, it'd be really cool is if we race each other but in opposite directions. Mm. And so we started to assess, like he really wants to go after like the Appalachian Trail FKT, you know, uh, Carl Meltzer and- um, FKT, uh, what's that? Oh, sorry. Uh, FKT is what we call like uh, the fastest known time. So the world record in in endurance, we call it FKT, fastest known time, because who knows if before records were even, you know, recorded if someone ran it faster. Mm-hmm. So fastest known time and there's stipulations involved and stuff like that. So he's always wanted to go after the the AT trail. And I'm like, let's let's pick something a little shorter to, mm-hmm. to practice on. And we started looking at the uh, Arizona trail, which is 800 miles. And uh, basically from Mexico border all the way up to uh, the Utah border. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we started to think, we're like, you know what? You know, it'd be really, really cool is racing each other for the FKT, but in opposite directions. Because that particular that particular course doesn't have a record speci- uh, specifying which direction you need to go. Mm. And so what we're going to do is we're calling it the, the AZT FKT showdown. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're in three days before the event, we're going to actually basically, you know, flip a coin and see who's going in which direction, north Oof. to south or south to north. And um, we're going to do it. And, and uh, it's never been done before. It's never had two athletes going for the exact same thing at the exact same time. Wow. Um, it's going to be completely, uh, you'll be able to tra- track us live. We're going to have uh, a media teams following both of us, um, updating you know social media. And the coolest thing is we're both we're actually going to create a betting system mm. that you bet on your who you think is going to win or you do pledges and stuff like that to uh, the athletes nonprofit organization. Oh, really cool. Yeah. So we're, you know, it's kind of like, hey, if you think Mike's going to win or if you think Ben's going to win or something like that, if you, you know, you, if you want to bet on both of them or something like that, you know, you pledge and all the proceeds, everything basically 
will go to uh, those two nonprofits. He he has a very tight relationship with Rod's Heroes or Rod's um, is racing for orphans with Down syndrome. Yeah, and really amazing organization. He's raised money for them for the last couple of years. I've always dealt with spinal cord injuries, so I've raised money for uh, NeuroWorks, which is the organization that physical therapy that Austin used. I raised money for Austin to, for his racing wheelchair. Last year, I did an event that uh, was all about vertical gain and how much vert I could actually accomplish in a 10-day period. And I raised money for a young lady, uh, 12 years old, that uh, became a quadriplegic just through a blood clot. She just threw a blood clot to her neck. One night, her parents woke up with her on the floor screaming, and she was a quadriplegic. And amazing the technology that we have today and the um and through i think a lot of prayer too uh she's now walking oh really she and Ooh. and using all four limbs but to a percentage yeah it's rehabilitating it's rehabilitation it takes time. times yeah. and and watching her through oh. social media through our, my friendship with her parents um it's just inspiring and and you got to be grateful for i mean we all have physical limitations you know, we, we're all our our bodies are different, but with it, it could be worse. It yeah, always could always be worse. could be worse. It always could be worse, and so be grateful for what you have, and and don't limit yourself. Oh, you know, because I watch a lot of people that have a lot of factors stacked up against them, and um, they just keep pushing the envelope. They just keep pushing. They keep doing what they can possibly do. Yeah, and it's just awe inspiring. So. I'm I'm still undetermined on what my organization is going to be, and uh, that's something I was you know maybe reach out to um, your your following or yourself or something like that. I really have always wanted to do something with uh, with veterans, with soldiers, um, and trying to find an organization that does maybe special with that neurological. You know, since I, that's been kind of my forte, and if anybody knows anything, well, we or- do we do uh, work with Black Rebel Coffee's fund that supports adaptive athletes, we're all, which are all veterans who've lost extremities, multiple extremities in combat. Yeah, and it's it's definitely needed. I mean, Evan Hafer, my buddy, but the owner of Black Rebel Coffee. Um, that's been his passion because we've seen, you know, we come back from wars and we got scars and we got shrapnel and we got bullet wounds, but you see these guys who've lost uh, so much more, so much more. I mean, crispy who's, who's been burned and uh, lost limbs and, and Jay uh, call him Jay limp who's lost his leg and, and uh, Clint trial, a buddy of ours who we're doing a mini documentary on who survived a horrific blast, lost both of his legs. Like, that would be something that would be really interesting to uh, do because we're, we're actually doing a, an adaptive uh, athlete event in San Antonio, Black Rifle Coffee is, and then they'll be involved. We'll be more involved with the next one that's up here. But yeah, it'd be it'd be cool to do something like that. Yeah, I'd love the introduction of, of some sort tied in tie in the event. Yeah, you know, and we basically should. raise at a minimum. Funds. We'll sponsor that event for you guys and do. Uh, the most that we can to support you guys and 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 bring attention and media to that would be awesome. Maybe awesome. having our media guys on site to track that, battle track that. Okay. Um, well, we can talk talk more more about that. But yeah, yeah. Like it it's going to bring a lot. I mean, most of our events do bring a lot of attention. Um, and 
it, it just, it's so unique. It's so one of the kind, has so much potential of failure, like 800 miles. It's a challenge. Like, How do you, what do you, who, what's the advantage? You got north to south, you got uh, well, Mexico like, to Utah. Who, man, what, what coin, so, what side of the coin do you want? Do you want to do the Grand Canyon first or do you want to do the Grand Oof. Canyon last? Do you want to start in the heat of Mexico? Yeah. You know, even in cooler. October. So we're going in the second week in October. Um, the record, I am, um, it's 12 days, I believe 23 hours. Like he was just right under. That's uh, the record. Yeah. 12 days. So that's what we're going for. You know, it's wow. basically like 70 to 80 miles a day. We're trying to cover that much terrain in the Arizona desert and sleep. You got to sleep yeah. in order to, to sustain yourself for that, you know, 12 days. So it's all, all strategy, but in my mind, it's, it's, it's still 100% doable. I mean, the record was set by somebody that was up against the same odds. Yeah, you know, yeah, of course. And um, starting from Mexico, you obviously have the heat in the lower altitude. Starting in, in Utah, right outside of Kanab, it's higher altitude. So one person is has a vertical loss. Yeah, they're running downhill. But that doesn't, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, what, if it's 5,000 feet difference. Yeah, it's relative, you know, right? It, it, that's a wash of, of yeah. amount of feet that's gonna be in the, the whole thing. But because who knows what the grade is on what, this side of the mountain and that side of the mountain. And um, there's there's a lot of factors involved. And uh, going into it, uh, it's creating your plan mm. and executing it, sticking to the plan. Now, your plan's not going to go 100%, but try to stick to it as closely as possible, you know, and focus in on on milestones I mean, um, if, if somebody wants to contrast that to their own personal goals is, you know, you know where you want to get to, but make milestones that lead to that and then make daily goals leading up to those milestones. So just focus in on today. Yeah. So I'm not focused in on day 12. Mm. I'm focused in on today. Yeah. Hour all, by hour. All I'm trying to do is get from here to that, to my crew at that checkpoint by this time so that I can sleep and then get back up and do it again. And I'll, I'm just focused in on today and then focused in on this mile. Am I drinking? Am I eating? Am I keeping the electrolytes up? Am Should I be walking this in the heat of the sun? Mm. Um, not using that extra, but, and, but you know, like the efficiency level and all that stuff and, um, and preparing and having a plan to, yeah. to execute it. I mean, that's where it comes is having a plan to execute it. Where's all that stuff going to be advertised? On? So we're uh, we're creating a page on our uh, Great Western Adventures uh, website um, that it'll be the uh, landing page. It'll, it'll be up in the next probably month. Let me okay. just say it that way because we're, we're this is in the evolution process and uh, me even talking about it here. Uh, Mike has been on a couple podcasts that have hinted around it. Uh, but uh, by the time this airs, we should be having the official uh, announcement and, uh, you know, going at, going after, you know, corporate sponsors to help put the event on. Because it's, it's, it's going to take it's going to take capital to put. Yeah, to put it on. we definitely want to be involved in that. We'll talk offline. But tell people about um, your uh, adventure, your potential, like where did that come from? And then where are the the channels to find all that stuff? So I. Uh, I'm building out and it should be launched here soon. Eventuryourpotential.org mm. is my website. Uh, Venture Potential is, I've been in corporate speaking for the last three, four years. Mm. 
um, kind of just gotten into it through followers saying, hey, would you come speak to my organization about your running? Really cool. And it has been a evolution process. Mm. Like I used to go and, you know, you start sharing your experiences, but you, you're no, you start to contrast different things. And then I start, get, I, I've been in coaching. I've been helped. And I specialize in ultra runners, mm. um, but my forte, I have years of experience in, in CrossFit and strength training. And I used to be a trainer all long before my endurance days. And I feel that the reason why I have been competitive um, within my ultra running is that the fact that I do strength training still, it's still my love. I love the gym two days a week. I love lifting. It's my day off of running, but it's still volume for me. And so most yeah, you're people, hitting. I see you in there like bouncing from keeping your heart rate up. Yeah. So I have a yeah. I have a system. I do circuits. Yeah. Um, strength training circuits, and you can still get strong doing circuits. You don't have to be a power lifter. Yeah. Like everything that I do stays in between ten to fifteen reps. Ten reps is my max out. Mm. Like that's me maxing out is ten reps, and um, all that, uh, and then fifteen reps. It gets your heart rate up, and I always group a push, a pull, a leg, and an ab all together. I love that, yeah. And um, I have strong days. It's all, it's all strategy, uh, like I, you know, how I hit it and stuff like that. And it's all like small, small, small increases in percentages that, you know, you create for yourself and you get the results. Um, but uh, my, my muscle structure, I've found that helps me in those long distances. Because yeah. one thing I noticed in those 200 miles when I started running, you'd have some of these elite uh, marathoners that are like sub three hour marathoners that are coming in. You're like, and and when they take off, they're gone. Like that first day, you don't, you don't even see them. And then all of a sudden day two into, you know, day two, you start seeing them on a hill and they're just, their posture's bad. Cause they don't, a lot of people don't train as they race. And when you're in a race that long, you have to carry emergency supply stuff. So now you're carrying a pack that probably weighs closer to seven to eight pounds rather than a race pack that's usually around two to three pounds. Mm. And five pounds is a huge difference yeah. over a 200 mile and on the shoulders, on the trap. And then, and then a lot of people don't practice with poles. And then all of a sudden they're in this big mountain terrain where the poles, they're using poles and their triceps have given out, their shoulders have given out. And now it's like, are you using them as walking sticks, like guides or something? I'm using them as limbs. Like I'm doing tricep extensions. It's pushing a good pound or two of my body weight up the hill with each stride, Yeah, you know? And so I, it, I've learned to take that physical fitness and adapt it into my ultra running to create this strength endurance. And so that's that's like my specialty, my forte. If people are interested into like, hey, I'm getting ready for this big hunt or that's going to be like over a vast terrain and I just need to get in shape, that's strength endurance. You're going to be carrying a gun. You're going to be carrying a backpack. You're going to be carrying all this, uh, you know, medical kit or whatever, um, you know, field dressing and stuff like that you're going to need strength endurance. I mean, mm -hmm. a perfect example. I mean, I'm sure most of your followers know Cameron Haynes and follow mm -hmm. him. And he's, he's like the icon of like that strength endurance. And, and, um, but that's kind of where it's at. It's like, it's, are you training for what you're putting yourself into? Mm. And I like to say, I'm always training for life because I, I love adventure and I want to be ready for that phone call. Like, like a couple months, you know, like a couple years ago, one of my buddies just called me up and he's like, Hey, let's go do the Grand Teton. 
And by that end of that day, I was at the base of the Grand Teton. We took a three, four hour nap, got up right before sunrise, ran up and, and free climbed Grand Teton, took, you know, ate a little snack and was back to the, to the, to the cars by noon and, awesome. you know, and home before dark. And I want to be able to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I just I want to go run the Grand Canyon a couple times if I want, you yeah. know, yeah. just, you know, don't, it, it gives me freedom. Mm. And I, if people are, and, and I, so I, I'm a really strong component for that, um, keeping yourself physically adaptive so that you can be prepared for whatever life throws at you. I just, you know, you, I listened to your podcast about urban preparedness and you're going to be talking about, um, rural preparedness and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, uh, like if something happens today, are you ready? And you can't use your vehicle. Are you ready to go walk with your gear? Like you talked about, like having a pack ready to go, yeah. you know, like, and I'm like, yeah, like, like me, it's like, well, how far do I need to get? You know, like, yeah. where do you want me? You want me to run to Evingston to, to get help or something? I can run to Evingston and get yeah. help, you know? Yeah. That's all. I, when I lined out that podcast, a big part of that for part two is, has to do with fitness and functional fitness. Yeah. And I noticed like all the things that you're doing have to do with fitness that's relative and impactful on your everyday life. Because yep. core strength, hiking, you know, bugging out, uh, moving over terrain. Hey, your your kid is injured. You got to put him on your back and carry him out of the out of the field. And a lot of people I see, uh, they go into a gym. And they focus on isolation of specific yeah. muscle groups, you know, chest and tries, back and buys, but they don't fo focus on the core. They don't focus on the functional fitness of movement, of mobility. And I think it's a big mistake. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think the start point is getting into ultra running, but it could be for some people that that could be. And like you said, there's a start point for everybody, mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to take that first step to grow to evolve and I, I think it you know adventure your potential is all about that messaging which is you know if you want to maximize your potential be willing to adventure and just take that first leap and bound yeah you, life itself is the ultimate adventure yeah and you're gonna have peaks you're gonna have valleys you're gonna have rough terrain you're gonna be on track you're gonna be lost <laughs> i mean adventure is the unknown Mm -hmm. And then, you know, eventually your potential is one, I, I, some of my message here is your potential is limitless. Mm -hmm. You are the limiting factor. And out of every mountain I've ever climbed, there's always a higher mountain. Mm -hmm. There's always a tougher mountain and there's always another mountain. And so your potential is, is never ending. Yeah. It's, it's, it's limitless. It's, it's ongoing. And it, you determine if it's done or if you want more. And so that whole adventure, your potential is, is, is a mindset. Um, my four core, my four core, uh, attributes is like attitude, mm. effort, consistency, and patience. Everything that I've come to realize within my ultra running revolves around that, mm. that attitude, that mindset, that belief, that perspective that I can do this, mm. that it is possible. And then the effort that's going to take to do it the consistency showing up each day and then being patient. So many people quit on their goals because they're not patient. They want it today, mm. you know? And I'm still, I'm at 44 years old. I'll be 45 this year. 
I got into ultra running in mid thirties and I'm in better shape today. And I know I'm going to be in better shape when I'm 50 than I am today. Mm. If, as long as I continue to progress and keep working at it. And it's just that consistency. And I can't, and anybody getting into ultra running and says, I want to be right where Ben is. Well, you're going to have to put in the time, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to be willing. You got to be, you got to be accepted, accepted to put in that time. And I understand that I have so much more to go, you know, like there's, you know, and, and but I have to make that decision to get up every day and, and run my eight and a half miles this morning with a, a purposeful, you know, plan of attack with speed intervals and heart rate and stuff like that and strive each day to get a little bit better. Yeah, you gotta be willing to do the work. Yeah. Uh, what are your uh, handles and where can people find out more about you, Ben? So my handle is adventure.your.potential at Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, Ben Light um, at uh, Facebook. Um, and I don't use I don't use Twitter too much, even even if Elon buys it or not. <laughs> it's done. He already bought it. It's going so, through right now. Yes, but but I just don't. It's, it hasn't been. Uh, a platform that I've used, but, uh, and then within the next, uh, probably, probably by the time this thing even airs, I'll have at least a page, uh, posted with contact information and email address for, uh, eventuallypotential.org. It's in the whole process of building out and bringing in all my different documentaries and my media and my projects so that people can look at all the different years and what I've done, um, over the projects each year. So we're creating this and, and I'm in the process. Like I know you. I think you're writing a book, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm. I've been for the last year. I've been doing a lot of outlining and writing a, a venture your potential uh, book. Oh, awesome! Um, really geared towards the youth. Yeah, that's really I, good. I, I I have a really strong connection with the youth. Trying to, I was affect like where I am today is affected by my youth. My my dad's example. My father's example uh, of the tools that he gave me, but then also key books and and speakers that I listened to that changed my perspective of kind of what's possible and kind of created a foundation that I later then built on. Mm. Like it was, a, it's an evolution process, and so I'm hoping to be able to plant some seeds, especially the kids these days. Going what they deal with compared to mm. what we dealt with as a kid. Yeah. A little bit more complex being a kid nowadays. A lot of complex. Yeah. Ben, I appreciate you being on hey, the podcast. Hey, I really am so grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with Ben when he does that. Uh, I want to see what side of the coin you're on in that bet. And then uh, also want to track that live. And we'll have an update. We'll do a podcast right before that event kicks off, as well as other media tracking it during it and then post as well. I'm real excited about that, man. I learned a lot on the podcast today. It'll be so, cool. It'll yeah. be cool. So check out the notes below, guys. Uh, ben Light, and it's adventure.your.potential uh, on Instagram. We'll have yep. all those in the show notes below. Uh, Till next time. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.